Friends, this afternoon, I would like to talk to you about the subject of Christian modesty. And this sermon is titled, The Beauty and Goodness of Modesty. Now, if you are new to Grace Church, or this is your first time with us, then you should know that this is not what we typically do in our services. Our regular diet here at Grace Church consists of expository preaching. Expository preaching is where the point of the text is the point of the sermon. And we usually preach through books of the Bible. So right now we're preaching through 1 Corinthians. But from time to time, it's useful and even appropriate to hear topical preaching. A topical sermon, like the one you're about to hear now, is one where we will consider what the Bible says about a particular subject or topic. Now, this particular subject has been on my mind after preaching through 1 Corinthians chapter 6, because in that chapter, Paul teaches us that what we do with our bodies matters. It matters. So think of this sermon as a, as a branch a, attached to the main trunk of 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20. As Christian men and women, we must think carefully and Christianly about modesty. We must think carefully and Christianly about modesty. So please keep your Bibles open and be prepared to turn to several portions of Scripture as we consider this subject together. But before that, let's ask the Lord for His help as we approach His Word. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we pray that You would now humble Your people by the power of the gospel so that we might be transformed by Your grace. Teach us to put away every cultural idea or attitude that stands opposed to the wisdom of the cross. May we put away all sensuality and self-seeking and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save our souls. Teach us to glorify our Savior in all that we do. In His name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> In 1983, a deodorant company launched a slick advertising campaign that told its male consumers that if you used their body spray, no matter how geeky or dorky you were, you would become irresistible to women. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It was called the Axe Effect. The company came up with a, a range of deodorants and gave each one of those deodorants a sensual name, impulse, dark temptation, instinct, provocation, anarchy. And the target market for these products were young men, 15 to 25-year-olds. Now, more than 30 years later, today, Axe is still at it with their ads appealing to the sinful desires of teenagers and young adults. Only this time, 
since our culture's definition of gender has become more fluid, they have come up with the new axe effect. This is what the company says. When you smell good, good things happen. You're a little more confident, and life opens up a world of possibilities. We believe that attraction is for everyone and between anyone. It doesn't matter your race, your sexuality, or even your pronouns. If you're into it, and they're into it, we're into it. That's the new axe effect. You see, what the advertisers did was to appeal to a certain kind of heart, a heart that desired sexual immorality. The ad made its appeal to the sinful flesh, and people responded. A lot of men knew that in reality, that this was just a deodorant. But the idea of having women chase you felt good, and so the product sold. Those visual provocative ads sold a lie, and the lie stirred the heart and captured the imagination of young men, and they responded by buying the product. Friends, what we do is a manifestation of what we desire. How we behave or act is a manifestation of what's going on in our hearts. And in the same way, how we dress is also a reflection of our heart attitude. Now, when we think about the subject of modesty, we typically make two errors, two mistakes. One, we think that modesty is all about clothing, and that's not true. That's not what the Bible teaches. Modesty is much more than that. And two, when we think of modesty, we think that it's a women's issue. And that's not true either. In fact, most of what I will say today will be directed towards men, mostly. And and next week, Lord willing, I hope to address women. Now, in order to understand the beauty and goodness of modesty, we must first arrive at a definition. We must think about our desires. And then we ought to ask how these desires affect our demeanor, the way we act and behave. And then finally, we ought to consider how those desires affect the way we dress. And so as we consider modesty this afternoon, we'll think about definitions, desires, demeanor, and dress. Definitions, desires, demeanor, and dress. First, let's think about definitions. How do we define modesty? Well, you can look to the world if you want a definition, and if you look to the world, you will get various answers. Some think that modesty is is a matter of clothing. A woman who is fully covered is modest. She is dressed modestly, as some would say. Others would define modesty as propriety, and that's conformity to that which is socially and culturally acceptable. Modesty would then be propriety, not just in clothing, but also in speech and conduct. And yet others, like Noah Webster, defines it as an internal attitude, an internal attitude. 
Modesty, he says, is that lowly temper which accompanies a moderate estimate of one's worth and importance. According to this definition, modesty is a kind of humility. It's a kind of humility which results from self-knowledge. You know who you are. You have a reasonable estimate of your worth and importance. And so you have a humble quality about you, a lowly temper. All that comes from your self-assessment. But friends, just as Christians should not look to the world for definitions of of love and justice, well, in the same way, we should not look to the world for definitions of modesty. Remember, we want to think Christianly. What is Christian modesty? Why is it beautiful and why is it good? So turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 to 10. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 to 10. And I'll begin reading from verse 8. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, meaning in the same way, likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Now, friends, the context is important here. The reason Paul writes this letter to Timothy is given in 1 Timothy 3, verses 14 to 15. You can look at that in chapter 3, 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. Paul says, I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. But Paul doesn't start with behavior. No, he starts with belief. He starts by reminding them of the gospel. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. And then you can look at 1 Timothy 2, verses 5 to 6, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. That's the gospel. Paul is concerned that the church ought to devote themselves to sound teaching that is in accordance with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the aim of all such teaching, he says, is love. Love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Brothers and sisters, Paul is writing to Christians. He's writing to believers, to sinners who have been saved by grace. Upon hearing the gospel, these men and women were given eyes to see their sin. They were given the ability to trust in the saving death of Jesus on the cross by the Spirit. They had come to the knowledge of the truth. These believers knew that they had been made children of God, not because of what they had done, not because of how they dressed, but because of what Christ had done. They had been given new hearts with new desires. And it is to these believers that Paul says, I desire then, in light of the gospel, that you should behave like this. Verse 9, that women 
ought to adorn themselves in respectable apparel. Now, this word that is translated as respect, respectable can also be translated as proper or befitting. And the word that is translated as apparel is a broad term that can also be translated as deportment. Uh, deportment is not the country kicking you out. It's not department. It's deportment. Deportment is a person's demeanor, the way someone carries themselves or presents themselves to others. It's a broad term that refers to a person's behavior, but also the way they dress. This is befitting behavior. But then you must ask, well, befitting to what? And the answer is befitting to someone who has been changed by the gospel, befitting to a heart that is trusting in the gospel. She adorns herself with respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, both of which are gospel fruit. The word that is translated as modesty is a word which means having godly fear or reverence before God. Self-control, as you know, is restraint. Friends, the emphasis, as you can see in the text, is on the heart. It is a heart that is responsive to the gospel. It is a heart that rightly fears God. The King James Version uses the word shamefacedness or shamefastness. The modest heart is a heart that submits to the Word of Christ. It is a heart that knows its true identity in Christ and responds to God in humility and awe. Respectable apparel is a result of a godly heart where modesty and self-control reside. The opposite of respectable apparel or befitting deportment, as you can see in the text, is a lot of bling that draws attention to yourself. Braided hair and gold and pearls and costly attire. Paul's not saying don't wear these. Paul's saying this is not befitting of a godly woman. You're drawing attack, attention to yourself. Don't adorn yourself with that, says Paul, but with what is proper or befitting for women who profess godliness. Brothers, there is a way someone can talk and dress and behave that shows that they love Christ. Now, if modesty is a heart attitude, then it follows that Christian men ought to be modest as well. In chapter 3, we learn that if anyone desires the office of an elder or pastor, he desires a good work, a noble task. An elder must be respectable, 1 Timothy 3.2. The word respectable means proper or befitting. Everything about this man, his demeanor, his speech, his clothes must demonstrate that he trusts in the gospel and is living according to it. Deacons likewise must be dignified, 1 Timothy 3.8. Older men must be dignified and self-controlled, Titus 2, 2. The word dignified means worthy of respect. It is conduct that is befitting of someone who professes the faith. So modesty 
is a heart attitude. It is a mindset. It is the posture of a heart that fears God and trusts in gospel grace. Friends, this is a God-centered way of thinking about modesty. And so, here's my definition based on the biblical data. In your bulletins, you'll find a little uh, white insert that has these definitions, so don't bother writing them down. Just look at it. Christian modesty is the disposition, which means a heart posture. Christian modesty is the disposition of a heart that rightly fears the God of the gospel and desires to glorify Him in thought and speech, action and attire. Here's another one from Peace and Keller. Modesty is an inner attitude of the heart motivated by a love for God that seeks His glory through purity and humility. It often reveals itself in words, actions, expressions, and clothes. In other words, this is a heart that desires to please God, to please God. Now, in contrast to modesty, look at how Peace and Keller define immodesty. Immodesty is an attitude of the heart that expresses itself with inappropriate words, actions, expressions, and or clothes that are flirtatious, manipulative, revealing, or suggestive of sensuality or pride. So I hope you understand that this is a heart attitude before God Himself, a heart that fears Him and trusts in Christ and His gospel. And then you can see the results of that. Let's think about desires next. When a Christian thinks of modesty, he must begin with the heart. Sinful thoughts, words, actions, and even revealing clothes are merely symptoms of a disease, symptoms of inordinate desires. They reveal a heart that does not fear God, a heart that does not treasure Christ, but instead seeks to glorify self. Friends, we are immodest when our desires do not line up with Scripture. We are immodest when our desires do not line up with Scripture. Jesus says in Mark 7, verses 21 to 23, that out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, sensuality, pride, and so on. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. They make you unclean. Friends, immodesty defiles. It is sinful. But because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, our hearts have been cleansed. Brothers, the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, and we have been given the great joy and privilege of glorifying God with our bodies, 1 Corinthians 6.20. Paul says in Romans 6.13 that since Christ has freed us from the power of sin, we must now present our members, that's parts of our body, we must present parts of our body to God as instruments, not of instruments of unrighteousness, but as instruments of righteousness. That's another way of saying glorify God with your body. Or consider Romans 12.1, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
your spiritual worship. Men, this means that we must make much of our Savior with our thoughts and words and actions and even our clothes, even our clothes. Gentlemen, modesty is good. It is a blood-bought gift. It is noble. It is honorable. It is right. It is befitting of a man who trusts in his Savior. Brothers, you must put off immodesty. Put off pride. Put off sensuality and selfish ambition. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1, 14-15, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions or desires of your former ignorance before you were a Christian. But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. So modesty, Christian modesty, is much more than conservative clothing. It is much more than conservative clothing. It is the disposition of a heart that rightly fears the God of the gospel and desires to glorify Him in thought and speech, action and attire. So just to make sure you get this, here are two questions for you. Two questions. Can a non-Christian be modest? What's the answer? Just shout it out. Yes? The answer is no. An unbeliever by nature is immodest. They are in rebellion against the God of the gospel and they do not submit to Him. That means a Muslim woman who is covered from head to toe is very immodest before God. Her conservative clothing does not flow from a heart that loves and trusts the Savior and therefore is immodest, very immodest. I hope you see that with that definition we just derived from Timothy. Question number two. Let's say you have a man, a Christian, who is always well-dressed, wears a suit and tie to church, but regularly watches pornography. Is he modest? The answer is no. Why not? He's fully covered, isn't he? Well, he's immodest because he's not glorifying God in his thoughts and actions. Putting a suit on someone whose heart is captivated by lust is like putting a tie on a pig and calling it handsome. Brothers, are your thoughts, your desires modest? Are you pursuing purity? Do you desire what God desires or are your desires shaped by the world and your sinful flesh? See, immodest desires may be praised and lauded as normal by the world. But what would Jesus think of your desires? Do your desires reflect the wisdom of the cross or the wisdom of the world? Listen to this warning from 1 John 2, 15 to 16. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Men, do not be immodest men. Don't be conformed 
to cultural patterns of thinking. Don't be shaped by the patterns and passions of this world, but be transformed into men with good desires, modest desires. Do it by the renewing of your minds with the words of Scripture. That's Romans 12 too. Strive after, chase after, give all your mental energy to studying God's Word so that you can learn to think God's thoughts after Him. So that you can think to the glory of God. A Christian man is a modest man. A man who understands that he has been given a new heart with new desires. Desires that must be cultivated in the soil of God's word and watered by the rain of the spirit. Brothers, modesty begins in the heart. And it reveals itself in our actions. Just as true faith manifests itself in good works, a modest heart reveals itself in godly demeanor or behavior. Let's think about behavior, point number three. Demeanor includes our words and our actions. But first, let's think about our words. What sort of words ought to characterize a man who has a modest heart, a heart that loves Christ and seeks to make much of Him? Well, open your Bibles to Ephesians 4, verses 29 to 31. Ephesians 4, 29 to 31. This should be characteristic of someone who has a new heart. Characteristic of a Christian, someone who has been born again. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Brothers, what do your words say about your relationship with Jesus Christ? This is something that the psalmist took seriously, didn't he? Psalm 19, verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So men, do your words glorify God? What would another member say? What would your wife say? What would your children say? Men, are your words immodest? Are they words of bitterness, anger? Gossip? Oh, yes, men can gossip too. Or are you a man who knows his Bible, who loves his Savior, a man who remembers the saving, forgiving grace of God so that you endeavor to speak words that would glorify him, that would demonstrate that you have been redeemed and changed by him? Oh, friends, a modest man understands grace. He is not proud and entitled. He knows how to say please and thank you, and he knows why he should say it. 
He understands that every good thing in his life is a gift of God's grace to him, and he is thankful. Grumbling words are a sign of an immodest heart. Brothers, do you belittle other members in conversation? Do you seek to hog the conversation? You know what I'm talking about. You want to be the center of the conversation? Do you seek to hog it, taking over so that you can be the center of attraction? Friends, pursue modesty by killing your selfishness. Put the interests of others before yourself and learn to talk less. Proverbs 10, verse 19, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Gentlemen, do you talk too soon? That too is immodest because we are neglecting what God says about it instead of trusting and obeying Him. James 1.19, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak. Or Proverbs 18, verse 13, if one given, gives an answer before he hears it, it is his folly and shame. A modest man is careful with his words because he wants his words to be truthful and loving, to make much of God and to love his brothers and sisters. A modest man is careful with his words even in private. Yesterday my son showed me something in a book he was reading and the main character in that story prays like this, Lord, when I grow up, Make me good-looking. You know, that's funny, but it's an immodest prayer, isn't it? Self-centered, full of vain glory. Brothers, are your prayers saturated with God-exalting words? Are your prayer requests in line with the Scriptures? Brothers, when you talk to single women in this church... Are your words God-honoring and loving? Do you wonder, will my words lead this sister astray? Would they give her wrong, a wrong impression about my intentions? Brothers, flirtatious words and manipulative words are a sign of an immodest heart. They are un becoming of a disciple of Jesus Christ. A modest man loves to glorify God by building up the body of Christ. His words are encouraging, edifying. Proverbs 15 verse 4, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. If someone says about you, oh, I, oh, I just don't want to listen to that man, I'll, get, I'll only get more depressed. If that's you, then you might be an immodest man with respect to your speech. Are you the kind of person who boasts about himself, eager to impress others? Boast about your Bible knowledge even? Someone who loves to talk about doctrines but doesn't care that much to pursue personal holiness? Are you out to make a name for yourself? Or are you the kind of man of whom someone can say, oh, it was so good to talk to that brother. 
so good, so encouraging to my soul. Oh, how He helped me see my sin. How He pointed me to Christ. He always knows what to say and when to say it. Proverbs 25, verse 11, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Brothers, is your speech like this? Or is it characterized by meaningless talk and crude joking? Are you thinking of ways to say encouraging things, to remind people of Scripture? Are you a man known for his understanding and wisdom? Brothers, consider your actions. Consider your actions. What is that one behavior? So we're talking about demeanor now. Words and now behavior, actions. What is that one behavior that Paul repeatedly says that Christian men ought to pursue? Self-control. Self-control. A man who has no self-control is not walking according to the Spirit. He is walking according to the flesh. Brothers, do you remember that warning that Paul gives us in Romans 8, 12? So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. The Christian man has been born of God, and he heeds the voice of his Savior in the Scriptures. Brothers, do your actions glorify Him? What do your actions, what does your behavior say about the Savior who redeemed you? Do you glorify God with your body or are your actions immodest? Gentlemen, you are called to be self-controlled, sober-minded, respectable, dignified. This is good and pleasing in God's sight because this is the work of His Spirit in you. The Holy Spirit produces this fruit of sanctification in your life as He applies the saving work of Jesus to you by faith. So pursue modesty zealously. Brothers, what about your choices? Your priorities, are they godly? Do they reflect a heart that is captivated by the Savior? Are you a man who is devoted to fighting his sin, to overcoming it by faith? Are you a man who confesses his sin and expresses his need for counsel and instruction? Would your wife say that you are this kind of a man? Young people, would your parents say that about you? Would your pastors say that about you? A modest man is also a man of prayer, expressing his dependency on his Savior in private and public. Brothers, a modest man recognizes that he is not a slave to his culture. He is not a slave to his feelings, but pursues God's calling and God's design for men. 
A modest man works hard. He provides for his family. He protects women and children and those who cannot protect themselves. He lays down his life for his friends. He spends himself serving his brothers and sisters in the church, knowing that he is called to be a good steward of the gifts of grace God has given him. He is a spiritual leader who may forget to eat, but will not forget to commune with his Savior by spending hours in the Word so that he can feed his soul and feed others. A modest man is not a lazy man, not a man who is changed by grace. A modest man is a man who goes to bed tired and confident, knowing that God will give him grace for tomorrow. Brothers, does this characterize your life? Are you self-controlled in the way that you spend your money? In the way that you eat? Do you exercise moderation in all things? Are you disciplined with your time? Do you train yourself for godliness? Or are you only concerned with external appearances? With your status? Your personal belongings? Your money? When people are in your presence... Brothers, how do, how do they feel about you? Would they say that you are a man who loves Christ? Are you delightful to be around? Are you submissive to your elders? Are you reliable? Can people count on you? Are you a man of your word? Men, if you annoy people, embarrass people, inconvenience them or humiliate them, then you need to check your heart. Are you glorifying God with your demeanor or are you being immodest? Immodesty is often revealed by a lack of love and concern for your brothers and sisters. I love the New American Standard translation of 1 Corinthians 13 verse 5. It says this, love does not act unbecomingly. It does not act out of step with the gospel. Point number four, dress. Modesty shows up in the way we dress. Immodesty also shows up in the way we dress. Brothers, God has a purpose for our clothes. Sisters, God has a purpose. For our clothes. It is to remind us of our sinfulness. It is to remind us of the gospel. And it is to remind us of our great hope. And therefore, our clothes ought to express humility before God. Turn with me to Genesis 2, verse 20. Genesis 2, verse 20, and we look at the text from there to Genesis 3, verse 21. Now, this passage describes how God made woman from a rib taken from the man, and then He brings her to Adam, and He joins them in marriage. 
Look at Genesis 2, verses 24 and 25. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. They had no clothes on. And the text says there was no shame. They were not ashamed to be like that before God or before each other. Now look down to Genesis 3. Genesis 3 documents the fall. Adam and Eve sin after believing the lies of the serpent. And immediately we hear these words. Look at Genesis 3 verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. Something changed, didn't it? And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. You know what loincloths are. They, they cover, well, let's say they cover very little. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? You see, the difference between the nakedness of Genesis 2 and the nakedness of Genesis 3 is shame that results from sinning. Shame that results from a guilty conscience. Adam and Eve knew that they had sinned and they felt ashamed before God. They hid from Him. They avoided fellowship with the one who created them and gave them everything that they had ever known. And notice how they responded in their shameful state. They wanted to be covered. And so they made for themselves loincloths out of fig leaves. And friends, this is the fundamental problem of sinful humanity. The Bible tells us that we are all sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. We are sinners by nature and by choice. Our conscience bears witness to our sin. But instead of fleeing to God, we hide from Him. And because we have rebelled against God and have rejected His word, God stands over us in judgment. Sin has separated us from God. And yet the story does not end there, does it? No, God in His mercy comes looking for sinners. He comes to seek and save the lost. He comes to open the eyes of the blind. And He gives them a promise. In Genesis 3.15, He speaks of the one who will be born of the seed of the woman. One who will crush the serpent and put an end to our sins and sorrows. There would be severe ramifications of the fall for the man and the woman and the world, but they had something to look forward to now. Once again, they are given an opportunity to take God at His word. And Adam responds in faith by naming his wife Eve, the mother of all living. She would be the mother of all who would receive life through that promise. See, what they had done with their shame was inadequate. It was inadequate, and so God does something beautiful. He shows them that their sin and shame was far greater than they could have possibly imagined, and He provides for them a covering. Look at verse 21 of Genesis 3. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. 
animals were sacrificed in order to provide this covering. Friends, in this text, God teaches us that He will provide a covering. He will provide a substitute. The word for garments is a word that describes a long tunic, like the ones worn by the Israelite priests. And when we read the rest of the Scriptures, we come to see that this sacrifice points us to the final sacrifice of the seed of the woman, of Jesus Christ on the cross. And this covering points us to a more perfect covering, the righteousness of Christ Himself in the fullness of time. God sent His Son who stepped into our sinful and shameful world, and He took on human flesh. He lived a perfectly righteous life under the law, and then He died on the cross as a sacrifice for sinners. The sinless Son of God was stripped naked. He was humiliated, publicly shamed. He did this for those who would repent of their sins and put their trust in Him. You see, He suffered shame in His nakedness in our place so that we would be clothed with robes of righteousness so that one day we can stand we can stand before God blameless and unashamed Jesus died on the cross he was buried and on the third day he rose from the dead to secure our new life and justification friends our good works won't suffice they're like fig leaves it won't do the only covering that God is satisfied with is the one that He provides, the righteousness of Christ. Only that can restore a perfect relationship with Him. Jesus took our sins so that we can receive His righteousness by faith. This is the good news of the gospel. And friend, if you don't know Christ, if you don't know Jesus, repent of your sins and put your trust in Him. He sees you. He sees you every day. He knows you in and out. He knows you even though you have been running and hiding from Him all your life. Call on Him today. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For the Scriptures say, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. The only way you can be forgiven of your sins and saved from God's judgment is to recognize that you are a sinner. Turn to Jesus, God's wonderful provision. He has provided for you a Savior, a Savior for your sin and shame. Be reconciled to God, and you will know the joy of being clothed by God Himself. You see, clothes are given to us by God to remind us of the innocence that has been lost. They are a gift to remind us that we are sinners in desperate need of a gospel covering. We are dependent on Christ. A modest heart confesses that through appropriate clothing. When we throw off our clothes and expose our nakedness, when we embrace nudity, that's an act of rebellion against the mercy of God and the gospel. But friends, our clothes also remind us of our sure hope our future glory. It points us to our new resurrection bodies, and that too is described for us in the language of clothing. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5, 
verses 2 to 5. You can look at it if you like. 2 Corinthians 5, 2 to 5. For in this tent, meaning this body, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, this body, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as His guarantee. Isn't that wonderful? See, Scripture is clear that we need to be covered. We are even told that there are presentable parts and unpresentable parts to our bodies. So, look at 1 Corinthians 12, verses 23 to 24. I want you to see this. 1 Corinthians 12, 23 to 24. Paul here is exhorting the Corinthians about the importance of every member in the church, in the body of Christ, and he uses the human body as an analogy. And he does this to show that we need each other, and even the weakest among us ought to be honored. But in doing so, he reminds us of something that we all know is true. Listen to what he says. On those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. Here are some biblical words for you. Breasts, buttocks, and genitals are meant to be covered. They are called private parts for a reason. They're meant to be private. And so we honor those parts by covering. Furthermore, exposing other parts of the body that draw attention to those areas, that also requires a heart check. So brothers, why do you wear what you wear? What do your clothes, what do your clothes say about the state of your heart? Are you glorifying God with your clothing choices? You know, it's interesting that the first person who demonstrated immodesty with respect to clothing was not a woman, but a man. Genesis 9, 20 to 25. Remember that story? Noah gets drunk. That shows a complete lack of self-control. And the text tells us that he was naked. He was uncovered in his tent. And in that story, one son goes in and gazes on the nakedness of his father and he does nothing. The other two sons refuse to look and so they walk backwards into the tent and cover him up. This is such a serious sin that the son who looked is cursed. His entire line is cursed by God through Noah. And we know what happens to the Canaanites, don't we? Friends, if God takes clothing seriously, then we ought to as well. If you think about that story, men are called to be modest, not just in front of women, but even before men. Be modest, not just in church, but everywhere. 
what you wear how you wear bears witness to christ a modest heart desires to glorify god with your clothing so men ask yourself what are my motives for purchasing and wearing the clothes that i wear do my clothes display humility or pride do you think about your sinfulness do you think about the gospel covering that wonderful gospel covering that you've received because of christ do you think about the glory to come oh brothers every morning when you get up and get ready for work you have an opportunity to preach the gospel to yourself you have an opportunity to rehearse the gospel no condemnation now i dread jesus and all in him is mine alive in him my living head and clothed in righteousness divine brothers god is wonderful and he has provided all that we need he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not graciously with him give us all things? He will supply you the grace that you need to glorify him. So lean on him. Think about the gospel as you think about your clothing. Ask yourself, the kind of clothing brands that I shop for, why do I buy them? Is my heart seeking power? And prestige or do, do I desire to honor my Savior does my clothing draw undue attention to me or does it reveal a heart that wants to glorify God do I dress to receive approval from others or do I dress to please God examine your motives brothers you know an Anglican preacher once said if a person can look upon thee and say Giorgio Armani and that is not thy name then thee is far too concerned with the world and thy status in it. Now, this does not mean that your clothes should be ill-fitting or sloppy or old-fashioned. Uh, it does not mean that you should not dress smartly. No, it means that you should examine your heart, examine your motives. Whatever you wear, ask yourself, is this befitting for a man who professes godliness? Do these clothes provide me with adequate covering? Have you stewarded your money well with its purchase? Does it enable you to serve God and serve others well? Sometimes when I preach at other churches, I always ask the pastor, what do you people wear at church? And the reason I ask that is because I don't want to stick out. I want to wear something that everyone wears so that they can focus on the preaching of the Word of God. These days, culture tells men to expose their abs, wear tight-fitting clothes, accentuate your physique, your well-toned body, if you've got it, flaunt it. Culture tends to put that kind of pressure on you. And so it's not uncommon to see men wearing low pants that reveal their buttocks and underwear when they walk or bend. Sometimes men wear tight jeans that are so tight that we can see contours of their private parts. Brother, all of these things only draw attention to yourself. They make much of you. And so you must ask yourself, how does this clothing glorify God? Now, if you object and say, 
Well, the reason I wear this is to make me feel good about myself. Well, brother, then that is the very definition of self-glory. The point of our clothes is not about us. No, it's about him. Pursue modesty in your dressing. Brothers, ask yourselves, am I dressing in a particular way to portray my sensuality? Do I wear particular clothes to attract women? Do I dress in order to be sexy? And that just means that you want to be sexually attractive. That is not a good and God-honoring desire. Can women be tempted by muscles and abs and bare chests? Of course. But you are not responsible for their sin. But neither should you be a source of temptation to them. Listen to Matthew 18, verse 7. Woe to the one by whom temptation comes. So don't be careless in the way that you dress. It does not glorify God if it's all about you. Be mindful and be loving. You know, the common objection to this is the charge of legalism. But legalism is observing certain rules in order to be saved. This is not about your justification. No humble dress can justify a single wrong. We just sang about that. No, we stand justified on the basis of his righteousness and not our clothing. This is about your sanctification. Because we have been saved by grace, we ought to desire to glorify him by our clothing choices. The love of Christ constrains us and it transforms us. Which is why we can sing, Let thy grace, Lord, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Brothers, be faithful men, modest men. If you recognize your immodest motives or words or actions, take them to the Lord. Take it to him and, and take them to him and ask him to cleanse your immodest heart. Ask other brothers to speak into your lives concerning your words and actions. Invite that because you need that. Invite that because very often we cannot see our own sin. You might think that you are modest when you may not be. Brothers, rejoice in the gospel goodness of modesty. Pursue modesty. Remember, you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Let's pray. Father, we marvel at your sovereign grace given to us in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we bring our immodest hearts to you and ask that you would cleanse us, wash us, purify us in the blood of Jesus, so that we might glorify you in our thoughts and speech, actions and attire. May we be so captivated by the goodness of our Savior, that we might be transformed into his likeness. In his name we pray.